Albert Einstein, Richard Branson, Bill Gates, John F. Kennedy, Tony Robbins, Michael Phelps, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of industries. What else do they have in common? Well, they all have ADHD, but you don't hear much about that, do you? You know what you hear even less about? The successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm an attorney, not a doctor, a lifelong student, not a coach. I'm also the creator of Cortography, a patent-pending system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your superpowers, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest superpowers. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 29 of ADHD for Smartass Women. Today, I have invited my friend Perry Jansen to our podcast. Perry lives in Seattle, where she has been in high demand as a psychotherapist for the past 30 years. She's taught at the university level. She's had her own column. She's been a radio host where she's interviewed and learned from the likes of Dr. Christiane Northrup and Dr. Dan Siegel. Perry has also been an educator, consultant, and coach for Microsoft, Amazon, Nordstrom, and Boeing. But I'm pretty certain that Perry's favorite role is that of artist. For sure. Do I have that right, Perry? For sure. I love it. (laughs) Don't you have an art show in July? I do have an art show in July. And actually, someone just asked me to do another art show probably within the next six months, which I'm super excited about because I have a whole new series that I'm creating about women. Women are so rejecting of themselves and so critical of, I mean, I've just seen this for so many years. And so I'm doing abstract paintings of women's bodies. And really, it's about focusing on embracing all of it, the shadow, the light and and all of it. So I'm, I'm just, I'm crazy about it. I love that. So anyway, I wanted to welcome you to our podcast. I wanted you to know that I have learned so much from you. So the audience knows when we first met, I don't even think that I really believed that therapy worked. And part of the reason I felt that way was that I knew so many women who had literally been in therapy for decades and nothing ever changed. And instinctively, I knew that at some point you had to do your way out of where you were stuck, that it was hard work. But I didn't really know what that even looked like. And what I loved about you is that you were so compassionate and so present, but in the same vein, you were also not going to let your clients wallow indefinitely. You required action because you knew that that was really the only way out. Very true. And really, you know, Tracy, it is about truly attuning to the person. So there are people who come in who have had trauma or a variety of experiences that I am really focused on first really getting their whole body in the room. And so, 
because therapy can be kind of intimidating. It can be scary when you're first coming in. And like I saw a new person this morning and I could just see that she had never been to therapy before. And so in the beginning, it's really about getting to know each other, you know, having people really learn that I'm there for them, that I know what I'm talking about and, and uh, creating as safe a place as possible. But then there does come a point where, I do require that people start to do homework and really implement what we're talking about because I I feel like that there's a difference between what I think of as realization and integration. So realization are those amazing aha moments that we have and it's we'll read a self-help book or we'll hear an inspiring podcast or something. We'll have those bursts of, oh my gosh. But the problem that I began to see was that people think that those aha moments or that realization moment is integrating change. And it's not. It is not. And so people will come in and say, well, gosh, I realized, you know, because I do a lot of couples counseling. Well, gosh, I realized how I was communicating was really, you know, impairing our intimacy and our interaction. And so they'll have that realization or I've worked with many, many women around weight issues and emotional eating and a variety of things. And they'll be like, they've read 25 books or they'll have realizations about it, but it doesn't change the behavior. It actually doesn't change how to really, to really change it. And so I think of myself as more of an integrative therapist. And that means, you know what? Okay, so now we've had these amazing, fantastic realizations, but now we're going to do, and I try to make it fun. So I try to make it creative and fun, and I use a lot of humor, but I am getting people to make change. And I do hold them accountable, or we look at why are you not integrating that change? What's really happening here? I have a whole thing about resistance where uh, it drives me crazy when people say, well, that's just resistance. But it's like, okay, well, let's look at the resistance and let's do something else with yeah. the resistance. So so I'm more of an integrative therapist rather than, woo, you know, popcorn, cotton candy, <laughs> like, wow, I've got this realization, but I'm not going to change. Right. Which must be so frustrating because I can't imagine if you have a realization and you want to change and then you don't even know how to change yeah. because you you can't do it yourself. Exactly. No, it's so true. And I think that I think that that's what's sad so many decades we've had this whole, you know, perception that therapy had kind of a stigma around it where actually all of us because we don't teach emotional intelligence in our country and really a lot over the planet. Uh, we don't teach how do I deal with feelings? How do I deal with blocks and getting stuck? And, you know, I, I actually say this in my practice in the beginning, almost every session and the first session that people come in, I say, I teach the education we needed the most and didn't get because we have to deal with our feelings. We have to deal with relationships. Otherwise, it turns into depression, anxiety, panic, using vices and addiction and numbing and so forth. And so uh, that's why I really work on teaching, okay, how do we work with this? And so that's that's something that I'm very dedicated to. Well, one of my favorite perryisms is um, <laughs> that I, I heard you say this and it's just stuck with me since 
that emotions aren't good or bad. They're just information. That is one of the biggest, biggest, biggest things. I, ha- I can't emphasize that enough. I think I should say biggest again. But uh, my experience is, is that people shame their feelings or they apologize about crying or they say, I shouldn't be feeling that way. And I'm going to take something like grief. And so I have so many people who come in and say, well, I should be over that by now. But they didn't learn how to deal with it. And usually people People will say something or anger or sadness or frustration or rage and feelings are not bad or good. They're not positive or negative and they're not right or wrong. They are information and they are like they're gold to me. So if someone has anger come up, it's gold because I know that the majority of the time that anger is up is that there is a wound underneath always. I've never found it to be different. And the expression of that, so when someone's really angry, I'm using that as a breadcrumb. Like, okay, I'm, I know that I've got that breadcrumb and I can follow my way to get this person home again. Not that they're never going to have anger again, but anger is not bad. It's actually, it's trying to inform us of something. The body is trying to, uh, the body is miraculous to me in how it's really trying to metabolize and, and work through feelings. So crying releases stress, it releases toxins, it relaxes the body, it relaxes the organs, and it's it's absolutely miraculous. But we're teaching things uh, from a very inaccurate place from emotional intelligence that there's something wrong with feelings or that they're positive or negative or bad. Not that you want to get stuck in anger, but actually we get stuck in things when we don't address it. And so I, yes, it is definitely a periism and it drives me crazy when people, I'm just going to think positive. I'm just going to have a positive feeling, but it's like, no, actually we want to get to a true positive feeling. We want to get to that mm. true place, not just what I think of as, um, so this is, uh, <laughs> this is something that I say a lot to my clients, but when people need open heart surgery, you don't squirt whipped cream in their mouth to make them feel better. <laughs> So like, wow, that tastes good, but it actually did not cure my heart. It did not help my heart. And so, you know, so I'm not just going to squirt some whipped cream in. I really want to get to the root of things. And so what is going on there? It's just that people are masking it because they don't even want to go there because it's too painful. Well, the biggest problem, Tracy, is that at least in this country, and I I traveled worldwide and studied different psychologies. But in this country, we like I was taught personally to be happy and to be good. Um, Like I remember hearing as a little girl, sugar and spice and everything nice, except for in my mind, it was like, but don't have spice. So you need to be Mm -hmm. sugar and nice and you need to be nice. But the majority of the time we say to kids, we give them a cookie to feel better or we tell them don't get angry instead of using inquiry. So from the very beginning, if we had worked with children and or been with children and said, so if they're throwing a temper tantrum, like I'm going to give an example. So when I used to pick up my kids from school, I would ask them how they're doing. And I heard the good, fine. And and I'd be <laughs> like, what's going on? You know, what's happening? And I realized that in my mind that I wasn't really using inquiry. 
and that, you know what, I discovered actually I need to carry snacks, protein snacks in my car all the time because I have two kids who had blood sugar issues and they were expressing it. Now, if I had just said, don't be rude, don't talk to me like that, come on, instead of what's really going on here. So if a child is really mad, then I'm wanting to find out what's really going on instead of don't be mad or don't be angry. I've actually always told my kids, you can be angry with me. You don't get to be mean to me, but you can be mad. And if anything, you know, when they're mad, I actually, uh, I'll say, is there anything else that you're mad about? Is there anything else you're mad about? And then we get to more of the vulnerable place. And so the problem is, is that we are not teaching that feelings are are actually they're vital and crucial information. A lot of times we shame kids or we punish kids or we discipline kids around their feelings and they're really we're wanting them to communicate to us. We're wanting them to tell us how they feel so that we can find out like what's a true resolution not just either feeding them a cookie or shutting them down or shaming them into not feeling something. So you know, most of us with ADHD have some issue with emotional dysregulation. It's not that we feel more emotion. We just feel it more strongly. So we feel the same amount of emotion. We just feel it more strongly. I, I guess I'm repeating myself. So in those situations, what would you do if, you know, you have this child who does have ADHD or even a spouse who has ADHD and they come home and they're just upset? So... I have a son who has ADHD. And honestly, I do as well. And so I feel things like people have said to me for so many years, my whole life, gosh, you feel things so intensely. And when they would say that, I would think something's wrong with me. Like, oh, other people don't feel things as strongly as me, or there's something like off about me. And my son, one of the things that I saw certain educators uh, with him is that they would shame him, you know, so they would shame him for having a lot of energy or they would shame him for getting angry or they would shame him for feeling super intensely. And so uh, honestly, one of the ways is that uh, one of the ways that I have worked with myself as well as, you know, other people who have had had ADHD as well as my son was that I came up with creative ways to, to work with it. First of all, I didn't pathologize it. So pathologizing, some people ask me, what does pathologizing mean? So that means either shaming or diagnosing it from a place that there's something wrong with you. So yes, people may feel a different emotional regulation and so forth, but that doesn't mean that something's wrong with them. It just means that that's what their experience is. And so when I'm working with anybody, whether they have ADHD or, or something else, I'm tuning in. And if we were teaching children to tune in, like my my son, honestly, is really one of the most tuned in people. And so he knows when he needs to work out. He knows when he needs to do yeah. like one of the things because I have three boys and a girl and we bought a, a punching bag because they were either going to do it to them, you know, the brothers or, brother. or <laughs> they were. So we got a punching bag. And so we let him get angry. You know, it was like, OK, you know what? Just or we would we would create races. Um, you know, like running around the house or screaming or, you know, just letting them really let let it out, like discharging or when they were deeply sad, 
you know, not pathologizing the sadness, but actually, um, and not medicating just here, have a, you know, have some sweets or take your sadness away or just be happy. Just think positive. I mean, so many messages we give kids, but it was like, okay, is there anything else you need to cry about? Is there anything else like making it okay to have that feeling and, Another way that I've worked, I worked with the, uh, I work with people this way as well as um, my kids this way too. Is we tarped a wall. Well, I tarped a wall, and and I would have them paint their feelings. They could choose any color, and they would get their hands in it, and they would get messy. So we tarp the the wall and the floor, and so you know they were really able to kind of move and express, and so. One of the things that I saw is that as long when people actually have good tools, when people are attuned and tuned into, then then there are so many different ways to work with it. Different ways of working with mindfulness or meditation, not meditation as medication, but meditation to to learn to tune into, oh, I'm having this extreme feeling. What is it that I'm needing? So this is the other thing about feelings not being bad or good or positive or negative is that if we squash feelings, if we numb, compartmentalize or pathologize feelings, then we don't know what the true need is. So if I'm just saying, I'm, oh, you know what? I'm not going to be angry. I'm just going to think positive. There is a true need under anger. There is a true need under like, okay, so someone might be having what someone would say from an ADHD perspective that, oh, that's an extreme feeling, but there's still a need underneath it. And if you don't like tune into that feeling, then you're going to miss what's really needed. Does that make sense, Tracy? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. So when we're when we're classifying, you know, again, feelings as positive or negative, right, wrong, we are going to miss what a true need is. And so like a true need could be blood sugar, a true need could be. So when my um, when my daughter was in middle school and, you know, we all talk about, well, middle school emotions and girls and hormones and all of that. But if I had shut down some of the ups and down feeling that she was having, I would not have found out that actually she was being bullied. And instead of just like, oh, come on, you know, or, oh, just, you know, look at what you have. Just be grateful for what you have. That's a lot. And that's another shaming thing is not that I don't think that gratitude is a good thing. But when we're just like, well, you just need to be grateful for what you have. But then we're missing what the core or true thing is issue or challenge that they're dealing with. And then we don't know how to really address what's truly needed. So I'm like, someone called me because I'm originally from Memphis and someone called me a Tennessee hound dog. So I am always looking for like, I'm going to track, you know, I never pathologize the feeling I'm always tracking like what I'm looking at the breadcrumbs. And uh, so that I can find out what is really truly needed, both with my clients and friends and family. And so I always think of, you know, when I, when I think of ADHD and I think of, you know, emotional regulation and the fact that we struggle with it, I believe, at least for me and for, you know, other women that I've spoken to, that a big part of the problem is we're in our head, we're in our head, we're in our head, and we need to be in our body. We need to feel it. And is that what you're saying? That is, oh man, Tracy. I mean, that's like, I have to say that's like, I just got an IV. (laughs) 
<laughs> in my arm of like nutrients there because so when I'm talking about integration, like being an integrative therapist, it, the thing that I'm ta- that I think about the most is that so for at least 12 years, we are taught to be in our heads we, because we're mm-hmm. taught to be more academically oriented and not emotionally intelligent oriented. And so emotional intelligence really to me and ultimately more of a holistic health is that most people try to deal with, okay, so I, this is one of my favorite Einstein quotes ever, and I'm going to butcher it. I'm sorry, but <laughs> but we cannot address issues or challenges from the same consciousness in which it was created. And so when we are just trying to think through how to resolve an issue, a lot of times we're actually missing like what, again, the true need is. So I I work the majority of the time I work creatively, but I also work, and thank you for bringing this up, I work from a place of what I think of as embodied presence. So we are taught more so to either compartmentalize, numb, or think our feelings. So when I'm asking a client, so say, how are you? How are you? And they'll say, um, I'm sad. But I don't see any sadness. I can tell they're thinking sad and they can feel like a certain kind of weightedness, but they're actually not feeling. Feeling actually is using your senses in the body. It's not like if you were to ask me right now and I could come up with just a, you know, a term in my head, that's actually not feeling. Feeling actually is using our senses. It's using sight. It's using smell. It's using touch. It's using taste. I mean, it's using, and this is what mindfulness truly is. So mindfulness is a a tremendous tool in working with feelings, but mostly what I hear, I have to say, sometimes the West really distorts really uh, Eastern methodologies that are profoundly impactful. And mindfulness is one of those. And so I will hear people say, well, I do mindfulness. And I, when I inquire into what is that that they're doing, they're, they think that, well, they think it's about thinking more consciously. But actually, mindfulness mm. is really embodied presence. And it's, it is about getting in the body. It's like, so if I'm working, so say someone around anger, um, and extreme anger. So, or I'm working creatively with them. I'm wanting to feel the temperature. I'm wanting them to feel the sensation. I'm wanting them to feel if it has a weight because I actually work with them and getting grounded in it. And so I actually teach people how to work with feelings. And so like one of the, one of the great teachers, Dan Siegel, who I, who you mentioned, who I'd interviewed on radio, Um, I studied with him for some time. And one of the things that he talks about is that we get into a place where we are doing, I won't even say feeling feelings, but we're doing feelings from conditioned response. And so... So I'm going to, uh, so one of the things I had a quite a bit of loss in my life at, at, you know, throughout my life. And one of the things that I would resist was grief. And so I could just, I was like, oh my gosh, that the beast of grief is going to grab me. 
And I would just feel like, oh my gosh, and I would feel so much resistance to it. This was before I was a therapist and working in this way. And so one of the things that I learned was that I had gotten into a habit of of feeling or doing feelings in a certain way, and they would feel overwhelming. And so when you're taught to be more embodied, what happens is, is that, so that habitual feeling also comes from a neuropsychological place. So our neurons are firing in neuropathways that are carved very early in age, in our age. So how we learn to deal with anger, sadness, grief, happiness, joy, and all of those become fairly conditioned. And the way to intervene into those is by working like an embodied, present, feeling way. And that will change how we conditionally feel. And the uh, the other thing that I want to add to that, you might have a question about that, but the other thing that I want to add to this, and this is a really, really profound awakening moment for people that I'm about to say, is that feelings come out of the same faucet, say. They're coming out of the same stream. And when we are squishing, say, our sadness, our anger, frustration, or things like that, even depression. Depression, I look at all feelings as a teacher. It's information. It's trying to teach us something. When we are pressing those down, first of all, it becomes more depression, but we depress all feelings, So to the degree that we cannot feel our anger is to the degree that it will minimize our joy. To the degree that we are minimizing when we're frustrating or frustrated, or we might feel some, I know that this is a kind of a hot word, but hatefulness, but I don't look at hatefulness. Hatefulness becomes toxic and distorted when we are repressing it rather than what are you really feeling? But that will also minimize our degree of intimacy and love and joy and happiness. And so that's why I really try to help people begin to work with their feelings in a variety of ways so that actually that will up their happiness, that will up their joy, that will up their intimacy, that will up their capacity to love. So it's it's like a it's one of the reasons why I'm always, always talking about like, how do we work with feelings? Does that make sense? It does. And this is so amazing because what I hear time and time again from, you know, women with ADHD is how they struggle with their emotions. And it sounds to me like what the problem is, is they've been shamed about those emotions since they yes. were young. And so they're they're not in there. They're not in their bodies. They're not feeling. The one other thing that I want to say about this this particular piece too, because um, I really want to address part of the ADHD situation is that. So what I see with people is that to the degree that we have repressed it or compartmentalized it or numbed it or pathologized it is when people start to feel. So I'm going to give you an example. So I'm, I, I was working with a woman and she was just slayed by grief. And, but the thing that we discovered is that she had had to stuff her grief her whole life. And so the thing is, is that if we don't work with feelings, then 
when they do come up, it is like a freaking tsunami of feeling. And so mm-hmm. it can feel so much more intense because we have had to stuff and stuff and stuff and stuff. And we've got like these clogged arteries of feeling. And so a lot of times what I feel with people is that they either go into depression or they have anxiety or panic or or eating issues. And I mean, a whole host of issues. It turns mm-hmm. psychological. But the other thing is, is that when that feeling is activated, one of the reasons why it can feel so bloody intense is because forever they've had to stuff at least some degree of it because the people around them couldn't handle it. And so they stuff it for other people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. This is is fantastic. And I want to ask a question. Um, I'm going to wind my way into it and I think we're going to kind of end up in the same place, but we're already 28 minutes in there. I know. This is so good. And I haven't even asked my first question. So I asked you to come talk to us because one of the things that I noticed the most of us with ADHD is, or one of the things that I noticed is that we struggle, we struggle, we struggle, and then we finally get diagnosed. And in 99% of all cases here in the United States, at least, we're basically handed a prescription. We're never told that there are other options besides medication. And the problem is for 20 to 30% of us, medication either doesn't work or the side effects are worse than the symptoms. So then we're really frustrated. And I'm one of those people where I tried everything and I am so grateful now that it didn't work for me because that forced me to look for alternative options like learning how my brain works, like, you know, I don't know, finding different planning and organization strategies, you know, discovering that I needed to do exercise first thing in the morning by going out in nature, by paying attention to what I eat. And so I think because medication didn't work, I was able to successfully cobble together a protocol that works for my brain without medication. But I have to tell you, I've been in so many situations where I talk about ADHD with, you know, a woman and first she starts to think, I can tell that she's starting to think that, well, maybe my issue is ADHD. Maybe that is what's going on with me. And the conversation immediately becomes all about medication. What's the pill I can take? What's the quick fix? And I've seen a lot of this in the women in our group. And I've got to tell you, I was one of them where I tried every damn medication that I could in the hopes that one of them would work because, you know, hyperfocus and we're ADHD and we're tenacious as hell and we're going to figure this out. But in my case, what happened was I totally lost sight of how I used to feel. And I tried so many different medications. I couldn't even remember how I used to feel. And it wasn't until things got so bad that I said, screw it, I'm going to get off of everything that I realized I felt so much better off of all of it. And I want to be clear that I'm not against medication. I've seen it literally change people's lives overnight. I just believe that in all but the most serious of cases, medication should not be the first line of defense, and it definitely should not be the only line of defense. But unfortunately, that's all we tend to get from the medical community when we are diagnosed. The other thing that I noticed with a lot of women you know, that are ADHD, and not just on ADHD medication, now that I think about it, that are on all kinds of medication for a long period of time, you know, for any kind of mental health issue, over time, I think it really does start to affect your happiness. And I think this is what 
you were just talking about. If all you're doing is medication, but the feelings are being stuffed and stuffed and stuffed and you haven't dealt with those, I think you end up really in the hole and really unhappy and you don't even know why. You know, there's something else that I remember you said that we are supposed to be sad and we are supposed to be happy and joyful. We are not supposed to be just in the middle flatlining it, getting through, never being too happy, but also never being too sad. Yes, very true. So a couple things there. One is, is that, so I agree with you. I don't think there's anything wrong with medication. I do think that medication can be very helpful. And so across the board, one of the things that I've seen really, again, in the West here is that depression, ADHD, anxiety, everything that the first line of, you know, the first response really is Medicaid. And I know as a therapist that there are so many different ways to work with things. Some people do need medication, but there are many actually who don't. And so that is, it's a tough situation. And so I don't pathologize that. And I really respect people's choices because sometimes people are greatly suffering and uh, they're trying to Mm -hmm. go again for something that's going to relieve that you know, that real difficulty and challenge in life. At the same time, I do find, and I have seen it quite a bit, that more and more, I don't find some doctors really recommending, you know what, there are other possibilities to deal with this. And would you like other possibilities? And and I do think that sometimes medication can bring people to flatline, but it's also, again, because of the way that we have been taught all of these decades, really, that there's something the matter with feeling. And a lot of times feeling can feel extreme because we haven't been taught how to how to do it. And so we have all of this stuff, stuff. So people who are experiencing ADHD and they're finding that medication is not working for them or before they even go for medication, there are so many tools. Actually, not just boring freaking tools either, I have to say. is that I mean, a lot of times people think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to sit there and talk for decades with a therapist and nothing's going to happen and I'm just going to, you know, whatever. Or, you know, so many other things like that. But there are tools. There's, there are, there's art journaling. There's painting. There's, you know, there's pottery. There's all kinds of ways that actually people can also really great meditation, mindfulness, creative practices that can be, you know, just there's so many, so much out there in terms of a wide variety of tools that actually can also, again, what I think of, this is a whole nother podcast sometime, but up your like happiness set point. And the other point that you made, Tracy, that I think is so important is that we are happiness pushers. In this country, we're happiness pu- happiness pushers, which can actually be very shaming for people. Why not you're happy? I just want to make you happy. I hear this all the time. I just want her to be happy. I just want him to be happy. And I actually am at some point I'm going to do about uh, a podcast about happiness addiction uh, because I do find it as a problem because you know what? Life is messy. It's magnificent. It's frustrating. It's crushing at times. Uh, when when people are dealing with grief, I think of it sort of like a, a tsunami of a smoothie. You know, you're being you feel like you're being blended by a Blendtec blender. You know, and uh, but when we're when we're telling people 
you know, that they need to be happier or gosh, I can't wait till you feel better. Or do you feel better instead of what are you feeling? How are you? What's really happening? You know, I've mentioned to you how much I, I like people who are really real and people who are real, they're just more in touch with what's really, ha- what's really, what they're really feeling. And they're not, I see a lot of people trying to pose as happy, but then they come into my office and it's relieving for them that they can actually be real. And the range, we rarely just feel one feeling at any moment. Like I can be feeling frustrated and happy at the same time, but we do have a lot of pressure to be happy. And we we do want to be happy. There is, we, we are supposed to be happy too, but not just happy. You know, there's joy, there are other, there's peacefulness, there's serenity, there's frustration, there's irritation, there's, you know, excitement. Like a lot of kids, I hear this all the time, don't get so excited, calm down, calm down, calm down. And what that does is, is that, okay, so the parent wants the kid to be happy, but not too excited. And they don't realize that they, they were probably repressed around excitement. And so they're bringing the set point of excitement down for a kid. So it's it's kind of a it I know that gets kind of complicated here. So (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can so relate to what you're saying because I have always been one of those just naturally happy people. And I, you know, joke all the time. I've had friends get mad at me because oh, you're one of those make lemonade out of lemons kind of people. Now, when I started in midlife to struggle, like my mid-40s, to struggle with, I didn't know what it was, I literally felt guilty yeah. and I I felt like I couldn't tell anybody that I wasn't feeling like I always felt and I didn't know what it was. And that was really scary to me. So true because, you know, people want you to be happy. And I understand that mm-hmm. there's a goodwill and there's good intention in that. But this life on this planet, I, I think of this as kind of the messy planet. And we have a wide range of feeling. And if we hadn't been taught that there's something wrong with feeling all the other feelings, that feelings are just information and that they're actually little gold nuggets that, you know, can take us to the place where we can actually really come to, again, more true understanding as well as a true, not just resolution, but there can be deep healing. And we do end up with scars. I'm not pretending like, gosh, we can just work out through everything and we don't have scars. But but yeah, I can imagine that, especially when people are expecting you to feel happy and you're feeling you hit you know, these phases in life where, or different things in life, people get sick, people get divorced, people, you know, are dealing with weather patterns and all kinds of stuff. You know, we see flooding (laughs) and, you know, things like that. And we're not just waiting for them to get happy, you know, but if we make space or, you know, I I have uh, a variety of people who are going through cancer in my, in my uh, practice and, Uh, you know, people just want them to be better and feel better instead of how are you? Where are you at? I'm here with you regardless of what you're feeling. You know, I can hang with you and your anger with it. I can hang hang with you and your sadness with this or frustration, or if you don't want to be around people or whatever it is, you know, it's really teaching that mindfulness practice is really about being able to be in our own body with whatever is arising as well as with other people. And so it's really about bringing presence rather than pressure to be a certain way. 
Wow. Oh, I love that. And I'm, I think I'm going to stop because I'm afraid that if I don't, we're going to be an hour. And remember, this is for ADHD yeah. women. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I know. Anyway, Perry, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge here with us today. I, again, I just feel like I'm going to have to listen to this podcast several times because I have a framework, but I haven't quite put it all together. I just feel like what you just gave us was so, so huge. And I just love that I wasn't planning to talk about feelings as mm. much as we talked about feelings, but it's so clear to me, even though emotion is not in the DSM when it comes to ADHD, it is so clear to me that emotion is probably the central point you know, when you're talking about ADHD. So I just, what I've noticed is when we have podcasts that deal in emotion, those are the podcasts that we get the most mm. listeners, like literally the double, double the amount. So I know this is a subject that a lot of women struggle with and want answers around. So I want to know from you now, Perry, can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to? And if people want to find you, where do they go? Blah, blah, I'm happy blah. to do that. And uh, I'm just going to leave one thing for your listeners. They're feeling there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your feelings. You have just not been taught the skills how to deal with it. And that's our culture is bad, really, you know, in that you weren't taught emotional intelligence and how you deal with those feelings. And so there is nothing wrong with you. There's something wrong with our system in terms of teaching you how to work with it and deal with it. So... Brilliant. Yeah, I just really wanted to say that. And uh, so how people can get a hold of me, you can check out my website, which is perryjansen.com. You can... You, That's with two, two yes, S's, right? Yes. And uh, you can put that... We'll yeah, have it put in the that show, in the notes, show notes, perryjansen.com. Also, you can look up Oxygen for Women. I have my own podcast, Oxygen for Women, as well as I do programs. I'm doing courses and a membership called Oxygen for Women. And uh, actually, Tracy, I have to give you kudos for that because she helped me come up with that. And so I'll, I will be eternally grateful for that. And uh, <laughs> or you can email me at tune in with Perry Jansen at gmail.com if you have any questions. And I do coaching. I do do remote coaching. I bring my therapeutic skills to that. And uh, so I'm happy to I'm happy to put that out there. And so you absolutely um, help women figure out this whole yes, feeling. That thing. is probably one of the primary okay. Really, one of the primary, one of the focuses that I have on oxygen for women are really midlife women who are dealing with navigating all of those emotions, the ups, the downs, but also really connecting them to, you know, things that they're passionate about. I don't think we just have one thing we're passionate about, but, but they're passionate, you know, just to make midlife like really amazing, freaking amazing. So, um, but I would definitely say that the, it's an epidemic. And 70% of our culture are really dealing with addiction to whether it's food or opiates and a variety of things. And it's partly a good, a good portion of people that I see, it has to do that we were not taught how to deal with feelings. And feelings are really when we're feeling them authentically and what they are really lead to a much deeper and truer happiness and joy and peace. Thank you so much, Perry, for uh, spending time with us here today. And that is what I have for you all this week. 
As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you like this episode with Perry, please leave us a review. You know, my goal is to change the conversation around ADHD and to help as many women as I possibly can learn how their ADHD brain works and discover their strengths. Your reviews really help in that regard. We are all in this together. We are trying to combat misinformation and affect positive change, and I need you. So if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com, click on podcast in the navigation bar. You're going to see a microphone to your right where you can leave me an audio message. You can also reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Edsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. If you liked what you heard, we sure would appreciate a review. And not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, well, that's also the name of our free Facebook group. Go look it up. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. We'd love to have you join us. You can also find all my details over at tracyoutsuka.com. Don't forget, I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.